Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Welcome to God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. And we're talking about confession and absolution again. We sure are. We may we may go for the trifecta on this. I don't know. Maybe maybe three in <laughs> three, a row. Three is a good divine number. Why not? Well, we'll see. We'll see where we go. If you want to contact us by phone, you can uh, call and leave a message. And if if you say anything of any substance, we'll probably play it on the air. Or not. It's 626-593-7713, which spells Manly Doctors 13. Man, is it doctors? or DRS. Oh, okay. Right? Manly, Manly Durs. Durs 13. So that's about <laughs> the only thing that we... There's, there's a, I know of no more apt and fitting description <laughs> of the God Whispers than Manly Doctors 13. There, there are applications on the internet that you can put your number in, and it will tell you what your number spells... And this was about the only one that made any sense. There were a whole bunch of like Nigyag eighty two or you know whatever, right? And uh, manly doctors. Manly I'm, I'm doctors like the more you 13. use that, the more I like it. That's us. We're the manly doctors. Email. We don't have anything clever for that. It's just simply godwhispers at gmail dot com. That's boring. And our podcast site is www.godwhispers.com. Or you can go on iTunes and just subscribe, and your computer will pull it down. It's the best way to do it. That's good stuff. I'm hoping to move. One of the things I'm going to be working on the New Year's is potentially move our neighborhood. So it'll still be godwhispers.com, but it's probably going to be pointing to a different place on the internet than the uh, .Mac, i.e. mobile me. There are too many complications with iWeb and mobile me and all of that. So I'm I'm looking for something that's a little bit more um, straightforward. Well, Chris Roseborough of Fighting for the Faith fame is uh, (laughs) talking about actually putting up a server for all all of us podcasts that uh, broadcast on Pirate Christian Radio. So that may be uh, where we might want to talk to him about actually ending up there after everything's said and done. Now, I, I really like the uh, the engine that we use at our church's website. That's htlcms.org, in case you're interested. <laughs> little advertising. I'm not even go there. Isn't that nice? But, you know, uh, but, if, but if we you have a mountallofluthernchurch.com, <laughs> uh, you know, and you got to spell it out, Mount Olive LC. Oh, but, man, uh, you can. You just have to peg in <laughs> htlcms.org, and you are, you are there. But uh, we actually have a really nice the podcast for the sermons. Um, I, I really like the the format and the way the way that's set up, and I, I would love to do that for uh, for God Whispers too, because I know some people are having some difficulty uh, listening to the podcast on the site, and and I think the difficulty has to do with iWeb and Mobile Me and Apple and all their kind of control freaky things that, hmm. that go on. But uh, but iTunes is iTunes works fine. iTunes is a great way to go. Yeah, it is. It is. I recommend it. So we're in the confession and absolution, huh? Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's New Year's. It's uh, New Year's resolution time. So confession, absolution, all kind of goes to goes together. You know, this kind of self examination. Look at your life. My ultimate of. resolution has been to make no more resolutions, but I think I'll probably break that. Yeah, that's that, the problem with that one. Is because you know you always end up saying I'm going to do this, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to you know, and then you just wreck it. I have resolved uh, to 
two two things in the new year. One is to finally memorize my wedding anniversary. I, I think that would be helpful. And 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 with that, my wife's birthday. I, I, I think if I could get those two <laughs> dates squarely on the calendar, I'd be in really good shape. I think I announced your wedding anniversary on the Wittenberg Trail. I, the, yes, the you did. <laughs> Much to my shock and dismay, I did. But uh, actually, that one's easier to remember than my wife's birthday, which I have I have missed by a day or so. She could tell you some amusing stories Oops. of my attempts to. Fortunately, she she's she is as low maintenance on these things as as one could ask. Yeah, for she's in a pretty way. easy going. Oh, I, she I'm is. sure you can make up for that with just a decent dinner out. You know. Oh, it's, easily. Yeah. E- yeah. No, she she's <laughs> great, but but no, she doesn't place a lot of stock in days. But but um, she is great at remembering them. I mean, remembering she, her own birthday? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, remembering like the birthdays of members of the congregation. Oh wow! Or that you know, oh, do you know it's been a year since so and so's husband died? You know, and my response is usually, he died. <laughs> <laughs> you did the funeral last year. I was wondering why he wasn't around. Yeah, church. yeah, that's right. But but <laughs> she she can connect um, events and other things in this kind of matrix in her head. It, it really is. It's it's a, it's a spiritual gift, I think. Wonderful, and uh, I, I I benefit from it enormously. Am I boring you? You're yawning here. Yeah, right? you're. You need you're, a nap. I think you need a power nap. Tedious. tedious you know. You know stuff. what? You, you could just nap for about fifteen minutes, and I'll just I'll just just chatter away here. Well, and, I I tell everybody that's my job. I, the God whispers is I wind up swirling, and then he chatters for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! All right. Uh, Why don't we go to the catechism? That's uh, that's a good place a good for good Lutheran place. to go. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Uh, well, like like we said, we're talking about confession and absolution, so I'm going to ask you the question, what is confession? You notice the title, the, just in front of that question, how Christians should be taught to confess. Oh. See, as, opposed, even... as opposed to, as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household, all the other sections. I've never noticed that. Yeah. Luther, this is a fascinating thing. Luther... I think believes you learn about confession by doing it, not by talking about it. You know, there's a, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff of the Christian faith. You know, is is yes, you have to learn uh, these things, but it's not. This isn't a book religion in the sense that that's all there is: learn the facts and pass a test. But but he actually gives a very practical way of looking at confession and specific instructions on how to do it, and that's how you learn about it. Mm-hmm. You, you learn by being a penitent. You don't learn. Uh, by reading about penance or, or repentance and that. So, but yeah, what is confession? Uh, confession has two parts. Roman confession had three. Right. <laughs> so, but, but confession <clears throat> we'll get has into that. two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness, from the pastor. Actually, the, uh, the Catechism auf Deutsch says from the confessor, uh, from the pastor, as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Okay, so you brought that up, and I'm I'm going to uh, delve into that a little more deeply. You 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 mentioned that in the German, it's the confessor, right, and and not the pastor, right? Uh, who then rightly hears confessions? Well, I think it's said that way in the German. Because not all pastors heard confession. Okay. And Luther was not a pastor. Luther was a preacher. 
and so Luther L- Luther preached and taught. Bugenhagen was the pastor of the church, and he's the one who heard the confessions. I thought Luther was the pastor at at Wittenberg. Nope, nope, nope. Just he was a preacher, professor, and preacher. Prediger ver- as opposed to Fodder. And uh, the Prediger uh, preached and catechized and taught and and that. But I mean, his primary work was was at the university, and and hmm. uh, and and that. So, but but I mean, he preached. the The, the pulpit was certainly his domain. But but uh, when it came down to pastoral care, and that that was Bugenhagen. He he was the pastor. So did Bugenhagen not share the pulpit with me, with uh, Luther then? Yeah. No, he did. Okay, he did, but those were those were distinct calls within the office of the ministry in 16th century wow. Lutheranism. Now we just we just combined everything to one. We say pastor. That's why the translation just goes pastor. But except but, in in our bigger churches now we have the administrative yeah, pastor. Yeah, we we the, cut it along different lines. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, but, so uh, now we've got the paper pusher pastor and the preaching pastor, and of course the pastor that visits the old people and the pastor that hangs out with the kids and. But but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make too much of this here. You know, Luther talks in the large catechism there's three kinds of confession. There's the confession that we make before God always on our own, as when we pray, forgive us our sins as we right. forgive in our daily prayers. Exactly. And, so and then yeah. secondly, there's a mutual confession that we make to one another as we sin against one another. And so, you know, when your brother sins against you, go to him. And so there's there's that kind of mutual confession that we make, and then there's also the the confession that we make before the pastor as one who officially speaks in the stead and by the command of Christ to his people, hmm. and so that's what we're talking about here, right? Right. Um, but you know the Roman system had three parts. You remember remember that from seminary? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had... from your, you're not Roman Catholic, are you? No, no, you're, no. You're just a, you're. I'm a... Italian and Irish, and somehow I escaped the whole Roman Catholic wow. thing. How yeah. how man? It was, the the deck was stacked in your favor to be a Roman. And I I end up with all the Germans that I don't understand. Good grief! I even married ones. So yeah, was, man. You no, know, holy cow! You like people. a traitor, but you kept the good food though. Yeah. Good for you. Oh yeah. You good for do you. That. Absolutely, food and wine. I'm, I'm the one who brings joy to the Germans, being the jolly Italian guy. You yeah, know, that's... Well, and that would work too, because Germans, even when they're having a good time, don't look like it. Yeah, my friend Pastor Dan Kistler, yeah. he, he did a year in Germany, yeah. uh, uh, Uber at the uh, exchange deal with the seminaries, and he said, you know, even when German couples are talking schmoozy, you know, lovey-dovey talk, it sounds like they're angry at each other. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've had exposure to three European languages. Three... Du bist meine Liebchen. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but I, you know, I, I know German the best. I had a little smattering of French, and then I, I dabbled in Russian for a bit, too. And I discovered something, is that German is a great language of war. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So even when they're making love, it sounds like they're at war. You know, it's 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 tremendous battle language. Uh, the French, it's quite the opposite. It's it's the language of love. So even when they're making war, which the French don't do terribly well anyway, it always sounds like they're making love, which is probably <laughs> why they're not any good at making war. Now, here's the interesting thing: is Russian is the only one I've encountered that does both. Really? Yes. Russian can be tender and soft, and oh, like it sounds almost like French. A lot of soft sounds, and and it can be warlike and and regimented, and and it's it's amazing, and and hmm. it has it has that complexity and inflection that you need to be able to do double duty. So if you really want to go, if you want to have both, Russian is the way to go. Those Cyrillic letters are, are like Greek. Is is the Russian language much like Greek? 
No, the alphabet. No, no, just, no. Just no, Ruff, the, just Russian the alphabet language is, is. is not. It, 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 it's uniquely its own. Huh. Um, it, sometimes it sounds a bit French, and <clears throat> sometimes it sounds it, – it, it draws from a lot of things. But the, it's the alphabet that, that has some overlap with the Greek. Not, not entirely. Cyrillic right. does, but, but uh, it is a, a slightly different alphabet. Yeah, who knew? But uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great language, great multipurpose language, Russian. Incredibly hard. But uh, wonderful to listen to it. It's just it's it's amazing. So how did we get there from the uh, the Roman Catholic uh, threefold? We're talking about threefold. Italians and Germans. Oh yeah. And so, but but yeah, the the, the Roman system of uh, of confession was three parts, right? There was um, contrition, right? You had to be good and sorry. Confession, you had to enumerate all the sins that you've committed. Every last one. Right? And for which you received absolution from the priest. We, we shouldn't which, forget that. The priest absolved those sins you confessed. But then? And then satisfaction. Right. Which were, gave you penance to do. Yeah. And those, those were sometimes, I guess, understood as earning forgiveness, but they were really transacting away temporal punishments in purgatory. Really? Yeah. Chemnitz in the Enchiridion uh, indicates that they're basically paying off their sins on that. Mm. Uh, the confessions don't go that way. The confessions talk about um, how absolution r- removes the eternal consequences of sin, but the temporal consequences remain, and it's that which was was tran- being transacted because purgatory is a temporal issue. It's it's basically dealing with um, the residual temporal consequences of your sin after your death. They say. Now I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent as we're given to do. Uh, somebody comes to you, confesses their sins, you pronounce absolution to them, you proclaim God's forgiveness, not your own, and now they're free from all consequences of that sin, right? What do you mean consequences? <laughs> so now you're fornicating, can no longer get that girl pregnant. <laughs> Good luck. You know, or, uh, you know, your drug addiction will no longer cause you to have brain damage. And uh, Wrong, grasshopper. Yeah, uh, see, the, unfortunately, that's the way that too many people think is, well, I confess a sin, so I'm off the hook. You know what? You might be off the hook with God, but you might still have to go to jail for this one. Well, and, and God in his wisdom and mercy might not let you get away with the murder you've committed. Right. Um, yeah, a great example from that from a friend of mine. Uh, had raised, She raised four kids. But one of the little ones uh, did some heinous crime against her sister. Yeah. And uh, so, and, and they were schooled in the language of confession. Yeah. See, so, so you know, has the kid, what'd you do? And he says, what he did. And, and he says, I'm sorry. And he says, will you forgive me? And, and I should preface this, the evening was supposed to have a, a video night. They're supposed to have a movie. Uh-oh. Okay, but that was in jeopardy now because the kid had committed this heinous crime against his sister. So so he, he confesses his sin and asks for forgiveness, and mom says, I forgive you. And maybe even says, I forgive you in Jesus' name, make it, you know, and, and seals the deal there. And, uh, and so the kid says, you know, amen. Can we have a movie now? No, you're going to bed. <laughs> the uh, temporal consequences remain. And that's just good parenting. He's not our permissive parent in heaven. He's our father in heaven. You so. know what, though? That's not all bad. That's good. There's, there's a lot of good in that because that also says no matter how heinous your crime is, your life here on this earth may have to come to an end, but all is right between you and God still. Well, the fact is the wages of sin is death. We all yep. die. You know, it's a, mortality is 100%. And, uh, and we, we will die forgiven. Yeah. But we will die. 
Well, a lot of people don't like the idea that Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian in, in jail and died as a Christian, and now he's in heaven and we're still stuck here. Yeah, yeah people people don't like whenever somebody really bad gets forgiven. Right. They, they ought to stop to think about it. If there's room enough in heaven for Jeffrey Dahmer and even a repentant Adolf Hitler, there might be room enough for you and me, too. So, you know, yeah, but we're get- how do we know what the line is? And I can assure you, I'm on the wrong side of that line. But but we're the good people. Yeah, we are right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> See, those are the people that got a lot to worry about. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, that, it's it's the the people from the church that are always like, Pastor, why are you telling us that we're sinners and that we're wretches and all that? You know, we don't need to hear that. We don't. It, that's exactly why I'm telling you. Yeah, if, because if, you think you don't need to hear it. If you say you don't need to hear it, I need to redouble my efforts right. and crank the you're volume. Not, you're up not on hearing that. me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've hit the nail right on the head, is is that the old Adam is in continual denial of the dire straits of our condition here. Yeah. You know, we think that we have problems, and that if we would just get a hold of our problems, then everything would be fine. And uh, you, the preacher, coming along saying, no, no, your problem isn't that you have problems. Your problem is that you are the problem. <laughs> You know, it's not the I'm okay, you're okay. It's the we're all screwed. That's the... (laughs) Well, and it goes back, we talked about it long, long ago when this show first started, is the nature of sin. Sin is a condition. It's it's not the bad things we do. That's the expression of the condition. But we are sinful. You know, turned inward on ourselves, self-oriented, self-worshipping, self-justifying. And uh, you know the whole cult of self is 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 built around that, and and what confession does, I think in a, in a radical way is it rips us inside out, hmm. because because it's it's forcing us to say what we truly are. You know, no matter how good and religious we are, we have to kneel there and say, "I a poor miserable sinner." In that is a lot of healing also for the psyche. In that. I hate going psyche here, but in that if God has forgiven me all these sins, then maybe I should let go of it also. Stop flogging myself. You you know, let's just kind of get an outline here. Two parts. One, that we confess our sins. Two, that we hear absolution. Right. Part A, you do. Right. Part B, God does through his instrument, through Mm -hmm. the pastor. Um, But that A part... Uh, obviously, that's an exercise of the law. You confess your sins. The law says you're a sinner, so what do you say? I'm a sinner. Yep. That's the only truth a liar can say. I'm a liar. <laughs> I'm a liar. It's true. Um, and so we're telling the truth. Confession, by the way, you remember what that word means in Greek? Homo legao? Homo. To, uh, homo. Same. I'm not, oh, I'm not talking speaking, prop eight here now, so no, homo. Speaking the same. Yeah, speaking the same, saying yeah. the same thing. So the law says you're a sinner. And the sinner confesses, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Right. So that's the truth under the law. But like you're pointing out, there's benefit even there. Yeah. Temporal. Right. Temporal benefits even there. The eternal benefits come from the gospel. But I think there's good and salutary benefits. And what what was that clever paper you talked about last time? Oh, shrinks, drinks, or absolution. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I wonder how how much of shrinks and drinks could be avoided... If we did make more use of the tool of confession and absolution. I think a lot. And I, I think that that's why, uh, you know, so many psychologists have popped up in recent years is because the church 
has not been doing its job, and people have not been coming to the church to do its job. And I, so they're looking elsewhere. And and I think it also goes back to what I said before about uh, the pastor's relationship with the people and how if the pastor knows this, uh, then he's got something over on me. And, and But they don't understand also that when we were ordained, we promised that we would never divulge what's told us in the confessional. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. The seal of the confessional is, yeah. is that... Uh, that that is part of a pastor's ordination vow. That that's a that's a, a I would say that's one of the best reasons. If you're looking for a reason to to defrock a minister, yep, is is divulging what was said in confession, right? Under the seal of confession would be good cause, uh, absolutely for, for doing so because the, there has to be a relationship of trust here. That uh, that no matter what is heard, you will not you the pastor are not going to be the instrument of ratting on the penitent. Well, there's the lawyers have client uh, privilege, uh, lawyer client privilege. Doctors are, uh, you know, ethically bound to not letting your records out and that sort of thing. And pastors are also bound to keep what goes on in the confessional in the confessional. Our I, courts, I our a, courts won't touch it. Still, I mean, no. as 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 delicate and as uh, tenuous as some of you know Christianity is in the public square, they still. Will respect the confessional. I'm. I, I. I. think that I'm a good confessor because I don't remember what happened yesterday. So <laughs> you can tell me stuff in the confessional, and I. I don't. I just flat out won't remember. As so it's far not going to get repeated. As just... far as the east is from the west. So far as you're. So <laughs> and that's happened to me on occasion. Sometimes people will come to me in confession and say, "Now you remember when I confessed?" I say, "No, I don't actually know." And and I'm t- telling the God honest truth there. I do not remember. And and that's, I, that's I make good. an effort not to hear it. You know, I mean, I hear it, but uh, I make an effort not to retain it you know in my memory and and just kind of okay there's a great there's a great psalm that there's a psalm all psalms are great uh, but there's a psalm that speaks in in what you were saying um psalm 32 it's one of the penitential there's seven penitential psalms Uh i can't name them all offhand but don't ask me 51 and and 32 are among them but but here listen for when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer i acknowledged my sin to you and i did not cover up my iniquity i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin but i love that first part that that when he was silent and he tried to keep it bottled up it, it it ached in his bones, yeah. And God's hand was just leaning on him, you know. Yeah. That 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 this this has physical and emotional and psychological effects as well. It's like arson investigators know that if somebody's lighting fires, they tend to hang out in the area and kind of lurk mm-hmm. because they they need to see it. You know, they need to see what's going on with with their thing and everything. But deep down inside, they're aching for somebody to notice them. And get caught. And get caught. Well, criminals return to the scene of the yeah. crime where they kind of watch the news to see how, yeah. it's, see how it's going with the investigation. And investigators play on that. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read John Warwick Montgomery's uh, analysis of the lying witness? No. Uh, in his, uh, I think it's History, Law, and Christianity. Craig Parton uh, has a, a nice summary of that in his The Defense Never Rests. Okay. But um, he's got this thing, and, and the, I think the purpose there is to demonstrate how the, the gospel writers are truthful, because ha- having a consistent lie is hard. Yeah. But, but it also pertains here to confession, and I think in, to an even greater extent, is the point is that to hide something with a lie 
takes a huge amount of energy. That's why, to some extent, lie detection works. Mm-hmm. Because, because as the story spins, you have to create more lies to cover up the lies that are covering up the lie. Mm-hmm. And a- after a while, you, your head cannot keep track of the story, and, and all of your physiology just starts to, to rise with it as you're, you're trying to, to you know, hold up this lie, and it's, it's, it's unraveling. And, and confession breaks all of that. It just it just pops the cork. It's like popping the cork on a champagne bottle, and all the pressure is immediately relieved because you've just told the truth. <laughs> As a pastor, you you get what I get: uh, people coming in off the street looking for a few bucks and and whatnot. And I've found that the more elaborate the story, the less likely I am to help people. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. I was taking the Amtrak from San Francisco, and then I got off, and a purple elephant picked me up, and I, I it was thrown into a river, and I floated down the river, and now I'm here, and I have no money to get home. What? I, I, <laughs> I hate to be cynical about the poor, but but have you ever noticed how the, there there are variants of the same story? Yeah. There's the the sick relative in Dallas, and they need to get from here to there. There's the the social security check got stolen. And uh, but they all have the same elements, and and so you kind of listen to this this set of elements, and and it's just kind of like a hobby. I love it when those. the woman walks in reeking of alcohol and cigarettes, saying, "I don't have any money to feed my baby." Mm. Well, that's sad. <laughs> you have money to smoke and to drink, yeah. but not to feed your baby. Yeah. I, I, let's get back to confession. Yeah, sorry. Absolution. Here. I probably need some. Absolution for that one. Yeah, I must confess to my hard-heartedness toward the poor. Yeah, uh, much. You know, I I I gathered some. um, I I have at least four benefits of simply the act of confession. We haven't even gotten to the gospel yet, but but there's uh, gospel here. Yeah, there's. We'll get to it. (laughs) There's two parts. We're on part one right now. Yeah, we we better get moving here. No, we're fine. but first, I Wilhelm Leia says it it attacks the pride of the old Adam. Yes. To admit your sin to another sinner. Yeah. And and he flushes that out because people will say, oh, I couldn't confess my sins to the pastor. Well, why not? He's a sinner like you. Yeah. You know, most things I've heard, I've done. <laughs> you know, and, and people act like, oh, you couldn't. And, and, and Leah has a great comment. He says, he says, you weren't ashamed to do these things before the all-holy God who sees and knows all things. But you're ashamed to tell them to a fellow sinner who's probably done them himself. That's not humility. That's pride. Yeah. That's religious pride. I, I love Martin Luther wore out confessors. Yes, stop it. When he was a monk, he, he, he'd confess for like seven hours at a time. He, he'd walk out and, and, you know, it's like I stubbed my toe on the way out and I thought a bad thought and now I'm back for more. You know, it's like it, 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 it got to the point where Stoppitz said, go commit a real sin. Yeah, and yeah. Then, he says, Luther, you're a monk. Yeah. You know, you can't possibly <laughs> sin so much. Uh, go out and commit a real sin and then come back. And, but see, yeah. he was caught in that enumeration business yeah. where you had to, if you didn't, if you didn't verbally confess your sin, you wouldn't be forgiven it. And so he'd walk away and he'd remember some other thing that right. he, he thought. And he just kept coming back and back and he drove Staupitz crazy. The beautiful thing, though, and it's, a lot of Protestants miss this in Reformation history, is that the Reformation really began in the confessional. Hmm. And Luther really learned the gospel from his father confessor, yeah. whom he, he, say, he credits Staupitz as pointing him to the, the cross and the wounds of Jesus. Yeah. And and uh, that that was really the start of of Luther's breakthrough to seeing the gospel for what it was. I, I wish think. we had more from Staupitz. I, I'd really like to read something that he he wrote 
you know. Yeah. I wonder how how he really got the gospel. And- well, he never. You know, he's one of these these guys that that uh, he was too far along in his career to go. He he knew where his pension plan was, <laughs> and so he just couldn't. The, the the young Luther, yeah, he could he could go and 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 take on the institution, but Stoutfitz uh, Stoutfitz just cut him loose. And I, I went go. to seminary with a guy who was a Roman Catholic priest down mm-hmm. in San Diego. And uh, he he had become a Lutheran as a Roman Catholic priest, and he was teaching Lutheranism from the Roman Catholic pulpit, and and his people loved him, and the bishop wanted to make him a monsignor, and then he <laughs> fell in love with a woman and decided he wanted to get married, so he finally became a real Lutheran. Yeah, that'll make you Lutheran then. So it's kind of <laughs> but, the place you can't go but, as a Catholic. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of that Staupitz kind of thing where, uh, you know what, I'll just preach the gospel and they'll leave me alone. Well, and, and it's a good reminder to all of us that, that no no group has a monopoly on the gospel. No. Um, where the word of God is 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 preached and heard, somebody's going to believe it, and uh, you know that's 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 the way God works. We got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. That phone number again, because I just like saying it so you, much. You do not, more than ever. Manly Doctors 13. <laughs> manly DRS 13. I like that. Is the emphasis on the manly or the doctors? Well, since neither not one doctors. of us are doctors, it it's must the be manly. manly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, doctores is teachers, so so um, so we're 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 really manly See, teachers. I love etymology because you you, you pull stuff like that. Out. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> On the web at godwhispers dot com and and our email is godwhispers at gmail dot com. I just wanted to say manly doctors thirteen. That you you are really proud of having put that one together. Aren't you? Uh, well, a little the, computer aided, but the, the the interweb did it for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We are talking about confession and absolution, and we're going off on all sorts of tangents, and we we probably need, well, no, we we definitely need some absolution. No, we need discipline is what we need. Yeah, that too. Uh, you want to move on in the catechism a little bit here? Well, actually, we, we're we're looking at the two parts. The first part is that we we can, yeah, we confess our sins. I don't know. And second, that we uh, hear the absolution that has spoken forgiveness. Uh, spoken through the instrument of the pastor as from God himself and uh, trusting that God himself forgives us. So. Now, when somebody comes in and they had uh, maybe a lustful thought, how many Our Fathers do you usually give them? <laughs> yeah, that was, the, that was the old Roman system of contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Yeah. A lot of people are surprised when they don't get take-home assignments. I had a great aunt in Italy who, I don't know what she did, but the priest made her lick the floor of the church. Oh, yeah. As a penance. Mm. That nuts or what? I guess her tongue swelled up. <laughs> well, not not good. Who knows? Who knows? Is walking there now? Lives. That's a loving God right there. Yeah, that will yeah, that, make that you will, lick the floor. That will that will do it. We were talking a little bit about the just the benefits of confession as confession, and and I was pointing out that that one is it's an exercise in in humbling of the old Adam who's very proud. Yes, puts on his Sunday best, always looks good. You know, you can always get the kids to behave for about ninety minutes on a Sunday, but uh, you know, you don't want anybody to really know how the family is. No, no. 
Yeah, the the pious people who come to church and then beat their kids at home. Or it's, the, uh, it's where you knock on the door and you hear the wife say, "Honey, would you put the Playboy away because the pastor's coming?" <laughs> I got more respect for a guy who keeps the Playboy out, knowing the pastor's coming. Uh, Two, second, it, it, that confession, I, the the act of confession brings some order into chaos because chaos is sin inducing, or sin is chaos inducing. <laughs> Let me get that. Sin is chaos inducing. It's it's it, and and so confession brings order. Uh, you know, people kind of come in this frenetic state, and and they're presented with a liturgy. Yeah, say these words. You know, Pastor, please hear my confession in order to fulfill and and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will. Uh, that this idea that that we've got this chaotic life that's going down down the dumper, and there's a liturgy, and there's order. I think for most of us, if we were told to just confess our sins, we wouldn't even know where to start. Exactly. So it's nice to have that. It's a jump start. So, yeah. you, you know, and ours starts with a general confession and then uh, proceeds to what troubles me most is dot, dot, dot. And there you go. That's your yeah. opportunity. Um, the third thing, advantage, I think, is that it objectifies sin. We, we are so used to dealing with guilty feelings rather than objective guilt. Mm. So I feel guilty or I feel bad. Yeah, everybody feels bad when they get caught. Yeah. That's not the same as contrition. It's just I feel bad I got caught. But uh, but we, we think of contrition in terms of feelings, whereas, you know, our confessions say that contrition is nothing else than confession. I don't even know what that means. It means it doesn't matter how you feel. Oh, it, okay. You know, say the truth. Yeah. Say the truth under the law. So I don't feel like it. Well, good. Never mind how you feel. Feelings well, will change. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Confession versus repentance. Is, is there a difference between the two? Um, depends. Because repentance is used in both the wide and narrow way. Uh, in, in the narrow sense, it's the same as contrition. Yeah, repentance... Uh, when, when, like Jesus says, repent and believe. Right. Um, Turn but, around, right? Well, that's the, other, that's the other thing. It's also in a wide sense, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. It, it, it embraces both contrition and faith. Um, it means turn. Actually, it means come to a new mind, change of mind. Hmm. Which is good, I think, you know? Uh, a change of mind. You see yourself as a sinner, now see yourself as a saint. Right. There's that change of heart there. uh, You see uh, God as judgeful and and wrath, now see God as merciful and gracious. I I think that what I'm getting at goes back to that, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief kind of thing. Uh, I I think of the Yambali shirt, that you might be a Lutheran if, and one of them is, you feel guilty for not feeling guilty. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I realize that what I've done is grieved the Lord, and uh, I know that I'm forgiven, and so I just don't feel as guilty as I ought to because it's it's covered by God's grace. And Bonhoeffer talks about that as cheap grace uh, or cheapening grace. But, um, you know, what if I come to you as my confessor and I say, uh, Pastor, uh, I've been uh, stealing money from the till at work, and uh, I know it's wrong. But uh, my boss is a jerk, and he owes me, you know, two paychecks. He's behind, and and I just don't feel bad about it because he owes me money anyway. And uh, but I know that it's wrong, and I know that you know God says not to do that. But you know, it kind of suits my ends and my needs, and so forth and so on. You know, I'm confessing that this is a sin, but I'm not really that repentant. Uh, how do you proceed with something like that? It's too many words for me to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think our problem... I'm saying that we all have self-justifications for doing sure. what we want to do a lot of times, 
And we realize that God says, don't do this, but, you know, uh, uh, I have a, I have a unique situation here. It's, it's like when people call Dr. Laura and say, I'm living with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but you have to understand we're different because we really love each other. Right. You yeah. <laughs> and, and see, that this is, this is where confession to a confessor is an aid, because the, the role of the pastor as a confessor is to help people stop this self-justifying stuff and, and j- just simply say, no, that's sin. Okay. You know, I don't care I, how you feel toward each other. I don't care what the circumstances were. It's sin. I admit that it's a sin. Good. You should. But we're stuck in a six-month lease together, and, and you know, uh, neither So money is more important than your salvation. All right, good. <laughs> Confess that, too. Now you're an idolater on top of it. And, uh, oh, by the way, we've had three children out of wedlock, and you'll be taking the father away from the children. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you've heard it all. Right. You've, you've heard it all. Uh, that's right. And it's, it's, it's all the transaction bargaining. I always you know. love this. We've lived together for 12 years. We have three children, and we just never managed to get married. Uh, so accept us. <laughs> what? Right. You know, and I think the point—the point—is is to square the the person up to the law, yeah. Not not to coddle this this self justifying stuff, and and uh, you know, th- this is where the conversation is very black and white. It's it's not about why I did something; it's about what I did. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Also, though, is I realize that what I'm doing is against God's will, uh, but I'm just not mustering up that sorrow that I should. Well, and and see that that's that inward thing again. It, it's like, yeah, who cares how you feel? It's like the person who says, oh, "I I pray when I feel religious." Right. Well, that guarantees that your prayers are going to be few and far between. Uh, and we'll get into this more when we hit the Lord's Supper, also. But the people who say, "Well, I'm in the middle of all this sin, and so I'm not going to come to church or the Lord's Supper because I I just feel so bad about what I'm involved with. And There you go. See, now, uh, you know, I'm a drug addict. Now you've and self-excommunicated. I can't, I can't seem to cut my drug addiction down, or I can't stop my drinking and, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I don't think I should come to the Lord's Supper. My answer is always, this is why you need to come exactly. to the Lord's Supper. Yeah, Ambrose, I think, was the church father who said, I come to the supper because I sin. Yeah. It's a it's a supper for sinners. My patron saint, yes. Ambrose. So. <laughs> Politician, gun, minister. Is it is that why? Yeah. But uh, I think that this notion of objectifying sin, naming it, and putting it on the table and disowning it, I, I think this is key to, to uh, um, basically dealing with sin properly. And and that is to to uh, to disown it as something like Paul said. It's not I who does these things, but sin that dwells in me. Right. And so he disowns these things. It's not him. And that's not an out. A lot of people see that as an out. Well, it's not really me doing it. It's it's the sin in me. So, uh, you know, I'm not really responsible. It's not. It doesn't have to do with responsibility. It has to do with the the origin. He sees his identity in Christ. Right. You know, all, every sin is a contradiction of your identity as a child of God, no matter how big or small or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's 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 sin's continued rule where it shouldn't be ruling anymore. Well, and that's not an out for anyone who nope. thinks that that's an out. It's not. The last notion we've already talked about, and that is, is confession unleashes the power of the secret. Somebody else knows. Yep. And uh, once once the, the secret's out and the lie's been belled, uh, there's often just a great relief at, at that, knowing that somebody else knows. I've always, and 
you know, homeschooler alert. I've always uh, likened um, confession and absolution to a spiritual enema. <laughs> you know, it just washes out all the crap, and you feel clean afterwards. Ay, 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 ay. But it's true. I mean, you know, there's if you have not experienced private confession and absolution, go hold your pastor's feet to the fire. You will feel a burden lifted from yourself. It's a wonderful thing. That is true. Yeah. Providing your your pastor knows how to hear confession and pronounce free forgiveness. Hand him a hymnal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Follow the liturgy. It's pretty self. Here, the uh, words are here. You. This is my part. You read your part. You know, yours says P, mine says C. We're set. <laughs> the 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 second half of or the other part, and it's really not a half. It's the greater part, and the part that Luther says we ought to pay attention to. Which is also the amazing thing that when you talk about this with people, they're worried about the confession. What do I have to say? Do I have to tell everything? I'm so embarrassed confessing my sins. And they're ignoring the greater part. That is to hear the spoken forgiveness of their sins in the name of the triune God drilled into their own ears. Yeah. Personally, for you. That's the big thing. When the pastor lays his hand on your head... And pronounces that absolution in in the stead of the Lord Jesus Christ by his authority, as certain as if Christ himself were there saying it to you, there's no doubt that it's for me and it's wonderful. I like this this phrase here that that we should not doubt it, but firmly believe that by it our sins are forgiven um, before God in heaven. So this is not just some kind of pious opinion on the part of the pastor. Yeah. And gee, we hope God agrees. But that God has bound his very will and words to these words. And so so as you hear it, so it is in heaven. It, it this holds before God in heaven. This is especially difficult for people who are at odds with their pastors also. And you need to realize that the office that the pastor occupies is much more important than if he's a creep or not. <laughs> well, and, yeah, creep. You know, and so you, you got to realize that if you like him as a guy or not, he's there serving Christ, even though it may be miserably, he's there serving Christ, and so he's there to act as a voice of God. And uh, it kind of goes to that whole Donatistic controversy that I'm always dragging up. It's not the nature of the person, or or it's not the faithfulness of the person. It's the fact that he's there in that office, and he's there to fulfill a function, and that function is to proclaim the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to sinners. Yeah, the, the language of the liturgy, I think, um, sort of underscores that. In, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, so in his place and by his his command— or by virtue of my office as right. a called and ordained servant of the word, uh, with the authority of Christ, all these words serve to underscore that my forgiveness is not mine, but it's God's forgiveness. Right. I, I'm, I'm just simply a mouthpiece or an instrument. One of the great dangers in, in um, I think, in, in the way we familiarize pastors or we try to diminish their roles just as functionaries in the church, you know, kind of these paid hired guns that congregations right. bring in to make them grow or whatever they expect, yeah. is we, we have diminished the our ability. When we do that, we diminish our ability to hear their words as Christ's absolving words. Because hmm. we're looking at the guy and he's, yeah, we hired him, you know. I mean, he's who the heck is he? Yeah. You know, who the heck does he think he is to say, I forgive you all of your sins? 
That's the great scandal of absolution. Well, with the official theology of our church body, which is sometimes ignored and sometimes not, uh, when you call a pastor, you're calling him for life, basically. You know, he's there until he dies or God moves him somewhere else. And uh, short of moral debauchery or uh, revealing the sins told in the confessional or just one or two other things. False doctrine. False doctrine. Yeah. Uh, you're stuck with him, and he's stuck with you. So <laughs> so you may as well make the best of it. Yeah, it, that that's true. Though I think I think it probably the whole conversation would shift if if we would see the office of the ministry as Christ's office. This this is something that Christ has established in the church, so his voice would be heard, right? And and so that his gifts would be given out, and and where that's going on, then God's will is fulfilled, and his church is edified and fed and strengthened. And that's why we have pastors. We we don't we don't have them there primarily as leaders or as coaches or as uh, you know cowboys, uh, you know, but they they are they are there as as um, as, as shepherds of uh, functioning or serving uh, in the stead and by the command of the good shepherd. And that's how Christ deals with his church. Hmm. It's also you know since you're bringing up that imagery, it's important to realize a Western versus Eastern way of shepherding, that uh, in the the Eastern world, the shepherd leads the sheep. In the Western world, the shepherd drives the sheep. Oh, I don't, and is that true? That's what I've been told. What I've, what I've read is that's the distinction between uh, shepherds and ranchers. Uh, cattle are driven, but sheep won't—you can't drive sheep from behind. You, they have to lead them. They'll follow anything, but, but uh, you—in fact, they do that when they lead them to slaughter. They have one— the, this is a great job for a sheep. Is is he goes up, he goes up the ramp where they're all supposed to go to the slaughterhouse, and mm-hmm. the first, and he's trained to go up the ramp. But see, he gets an exit, <laughs> and the others get whacked. But they're you know they will follow. But they it's, they, it's good to be that uh, lead sheep. Oh yeah, that's a that's a cush a job. job. Yeah, uh, it's the Benedict Arnold sheep. But but I don't know. Uh, I, I've always been told that that's the East and Western versions of that. I don't know. You've spent more time with sheep than me apparently. So. I don't, <laughs> No, can't say that I have. The uh, you know the whole business of of absolution. A lot of people ask, where is this written, or, or you know, how does this even come about? Um, and it 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 rests on this the, the whole notion of of the keys or the office of the keys, where where Jesus says to Peter as as one of the apostles that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind will be bound on earth. Whatever you loose be loosed. Uh, he says it to all the disciples in Matthew 18 in the plural. And then in John 20, and I think that's the, the if, if you want to look at the the, yeah, this is the, big one. the key verse, you know, John 20, uh, 19 through 23, which is uh, Easter evening, the day of the resurrection, and Jesus makes his big appearance to his apostles who are locked up in probably the same upper room that they celebrated the uh, Lord's Supper. For fear. And they're locked up in fear, and Jesus appears and says peace and shows them his, his wounded hands and his side and and then says it again, peace be with you, and, and, and sends them. He makes them apostles. Apostles means sent ones. And as the Father has sent me, he's the apostle from the Father, so I am sending you. And then we said this, there's a little Pentecost. He breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He'll do that in a big way. Uh... 50 days later, mm-hmm. big breath, big wind, fire, but uh, this is little little breath. 
but with his breath, his words, his spirit. And then the, then the sentence, 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. So he binds their, their mouth and his mouth, their words, his, his words, you know, it's, it's, it's him speaking. And, and if you retain the sins of any, RSV translation, they are retained. So we talk about uh, the, the authority of the keys being given to the office of the keys to uh, bind and loose sins. I, I want to back up on that to Jesus coming and twice saying, peace be with you. These are guys who have all run away. They were cowards. They hid. Peter denies him. You know, I mean, none of them stood up for him as he was in trial or anything else. And, and it had to be that way also. And But, you know, these are guys who are probably thinking, oh, gosh, here's Jesus, and we're all a bunch of wimps and cowards, and, you know, we we— we aren't much better than Judas at this point. And Jesus comes, he doesn't say, hey guys, where have you been? He says, peace be with you. There's nothing between yeah, us. It's he all good. He doesn't chew him out for all the uh, all all the goofiness of the last yeah. few days. You know, Peter, where were you? Way to leave me hanging out to dry, pal. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Instead, he, he comes with peace. He, yes. says, he says, peace. And, and he's saying, I'm not upset with you. I, there's nothing wrong here. There's nothing bad between us. And in the church, when we share the peace, we need to remember this is what we're doing also. We're, we're saying we're at peace with God, and we, we're at peace with one another also. And if we aren't at peace with one another, we should make peace with one another. Well, and, and that's, a, that's a, a concrete, objective, external peace. It's not just a fond wish, but he shows them the marks of his crucifixion, yes. his hands and his side. That serves a couple of purposes. One, it, it, that really is Jesus. You know, Thomas said that. He says, unless I see those wounds and touch them, I ain't going to believe this. Yeah. And I don't blame him because uh, he's not going to go for some Jesus imposter. He wants to see the real deal, and the real deal is crucified. Yeah, I think I'd be given to say, hey, um, you guys have that mushroom soup. I think you got <laughs> the wrong kind of mushrooms <laughs> yeah, yeah, in right. there, you know? But uh, uh, he um, he shows them also then in, in his wounds, he's showing them the source of, of that peace. So it's not some abstract right. smile, God loves you, but, but you know, these wounds— are there peace? Uh, we do something similar. I don't know what you do liturgically, but at the consecration or after the consecration of the Lord's Supper, I hold up the, the bread and, and the cup and right. say, the peace of the Lord be with you yeah. always. Yeah, that's too. And that's, that's, those are the tangible wounds of Christ for us is, is the body and the blood. But uh, you know, here you have his authorization with his sending, his words and spirit, that they are to forgive sins and retain sins. There's some little quirky things in in verse 23 that's kind of fun to look at that are that are fun. Um, one is the tense of of, of forgiveness. There, uh, there are variations on this, and and you have all three tenses. So you have if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, they have been forgiven, and they will be forgiven. <laughs> there are manuscripts with all those tenses in them. Hmm. I like to say it's all of the above. You know, the sins you forgive are, have, and always will be forgiven. You know, it's past, present, and future. Sounds good to me. Uh, the other tricky thing is that second half. Um, it, it sins is, it, I read the RSV, if you retain the sins of any, it literally says in Greek, the things of theirs you retain are retained or have been retained. Uh, it doesn't say anything about sins. That has to be understood uh, from the first part of the clause. It's probably the easiest reading, but uh, it makes me wonder sometime exactly what is being retained there. Uh, I'm going to go this way also, and I, I remember in seminary there was a lot of debate over this. I'd like to get your take on this. The 
11 minus Thomas are in the room at this point. Uh, Judas had offed himself. And uh, Jesus comes and gives him this authority to to forgive sins. But by the way, it, it doesn't say the 11. It just says the disciples were there. Okay. Well, still, it... It, it seems could be to be more. contextually, I mean, the, as as Thomas comes back, that it's probably just the upper room gang. Right? Well, but in 24, it says, now Thomas, one of the 12. Right. So there it's the 12. Now, if it would have been just the 12 or the 11. Um, well, you know where I'm going with this already. Yeah, I know, but I'm, 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 I'm preempting you by, by saying we, we have no idea how many disciples were, were in that upper room. Could have been the whole company of them. Okay, so... I wonder if for, I wonder if that for, involves I wonder if that includes the women. For those of you who aren't on the inside of this conversation, Swirl is reading my mind because he knows where I'm going with this. But a lot of a lot of our uh, brother pastors and and I think uh, rightly so in, in some cases make the case that this is given to the pastoral office, not to the whole congregation. They they make all sorts of distinctions here that uh, um, this. Holy Spirit to uh, forgive sins like this is given in ordination, and that uh, there you receive the Holy Spirit to do these things, to forgive sins and so forth. What's your take on that? <laughs> that's, that's a lot in one sentence. It's a loaded question. Um, I, don't, I don't have any doubt from, from the, the letter to Timothy that, that there is a grace or gift given in ordination. Right, um, Melanchthon is very clear in with respect to ordination that the the beneficiary is not the one who receives the office, but the ones who receive the ministrations of that office. Right. So, if there's any kind of special gift given with the office, and I believe there is, it's it's strictly for the benefit of the hearers, not the not the pastor. Pastor doesn't benefit personally from that at all. In fact, he suffers as a result of it. <laughs> um, does this? We traditionally hold this passage and and even Matthew twenty eight as as words of institution for the office of the ministry. I mean, th- this is read at every ordination. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, thereby recognizing that the the office of the ministry does it, it has this authority. Certainly, these are the apostles. Whether there are. 11 of them, or however many there are, uh, they are being made apostles here when he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, even though he uses different words there, apostello and pempo, but it's basically the same idea. Um, And that the pastoral office is a continuation of the apostolic office. That's true albeit slightly different. We we don't we don't have Jesus breathing on us and we don't have <laughs> Jesus directly sending us. We have the church calling us right. and sending us. Uh but nonetheless it's the same authority and the same gift and the same purpose. We'll get into that I think later on as we talk more about the office of the ministry also is is uh from whence does this authority come? Does it come you know directly from God or does it come through the congregation or you know did the pope do it, you know, or by bishops or or what? So we'll 
we'll get into that a little bit more later on. I, I think, I, I think what, one of the things to bear in mind, Herman Zassi says this uh, regarding, I think, Matthew 28, but it applies here as well, is that in the Gospels, you have to be very careful not to overly distinguish the apostles from the disciples. Mm-hmm. They are sometimes, certainly the 12 have a different relationship to Jesus than the greater company of disciples. But I, I again, hasten to point out here that in John, uh, it does not say specifically the 11. And and Zassi points out that that these guys are both church and ministry kind of embodied as one, mm-hmm. and and we can't we can't be kind of playing them off against each other. The church has the authority to forgive sins, and the church exercises that authority through her pastors through the office of the ministry. Well, you know, we can touch on this also as we will perhaps talk about. Uh, uh, threefold office versus just the pastoral office and, and nah. so forth and so on. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that nah. whole deacon thing, you know, oh, in various nah. places no, in Scripture, no. the apostles actually no, call, we're them, not gonna call each other, you know, diaconia. Oh, and no, so no. Forth. They do anyway. not. They, they yeah. never, they, they, they never there call is? each other diaconia. Okay, diaconos. I'll show you that. <laughs> now, no, I'm saying that they refer to each other as, it's an interchangeable term is what I'm saying. That, that diaconia is just servants. And so in, it, in it, Scripture, they refer to each other in places as Epis- fellow servants. Episcopus and presbyteros and poimain, shepherd, are roughly, approximately interchangeable. Okay. Diaconus is not. Okay. You've those thrown are, down the gauntlet. Those are assistants to the bishop. Listen, gang, <laughs> you're, you're going to see it firsthand here. <laughs> Swirly gets the smack Now, down. if a uh, servant of the word, perhaps. Well... If you see, if you were listening instead of just popping off, you would have heard me say pretty much that that they refer to each other as servants of God. Saying pretty yeah, much that 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 sounds like a revision after the fact. No, all right, it's playback time. You'll hear it on the playback, but but that they refer to each other as fellow servants, fellow diaconate, you know, diaconia. On, on you can show me the places. passage. We'll take a look at it. I'll have to look it up. Mm-hmm. It's been several years. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know what? What we're out of time. Oh. Is that crazy? It is. I I just got to tell you folks something. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that He's one who will never leave you flat